Hey everyone, today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by CraneShares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN. Now to the top analysis of today's markets. Will the Fed force a stock sell-off? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Dave Massa, Chief Strategy Officer at Round Hill Investments. Hi, Dave. Welcome to the Daily Briefing. Hey, thanks for having me here. I love it. So it's your first time with us. So before we jump in, why don't you tell us a little bit about Round Hill and your remit there? Yeah, no, happy to do so. So Round Hill is a registered investment advisor primarily focused on offering exchange-traded funds. Uh, and really what our focus is as a firm is trying to do things a bit differently. The firm was actually founded in 2018 by the then 29-year-old uh, Will Hershey and Tim Maloney, who had worked on Wall Street and became a bit disenfranchised with uh, sort of the force feeding of investment products and the general stodginess of it, and really not a focus on a younger generation, millennials, Gen Z, and things of that nature. Uh, and since that time, really, the firm is focused on delivering first-to-market product on really exciting, innovative areas. So first-to-market product on sports betting, the metaverse, uh, the ticker of that uh, is MetV. And then most recently, uh, a generative AI ETF, the ticker CHAT. Um, in my remit as the chief strategy officer, I recently joined actually in February after spending time at State Street Global Advisors, Oppenheimer Funds and then direction is to help expand the firm uh, and, and really where we're focused, both from a product development standpoint, uh, a research standpoint, both macro and markets, and also from an operations point of view. So it's a really exciting time for Roundhill uh, and one where we're, we're hoping to take uh, our ability to sort of be nimble, be try, try to outsmart some others, and then bring some exciting products along the way. Yeah, and there's certainly been a huge amount of momentum, especially around AI. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of those themes, but you've got some banks and deep value too. So I want to talk a little bit sector specific in a moment, but we've got to start big picture, right? So we had very interesting market action today, a big move in bonds after the ADP reported much bigger than expected gain in private payrolls in June. I mean, it was you know kind of a jaw-dropping number. The two-year yield jumped to 5.12%, a 16-year high on fears the Fed's going to have to be more aggressive when it comes to hiking rates. We had Fed Governor Logan say as much today. They've all been saying it. We heard it in the minutes. They've been pretty consistent about that. And we did see stocks sell off, although interestingly, stocks bounced off their worst levels and have been sort of making their way back, recovering a bit as the day went on. Uh, so it's still a down day, but not nearly as ugly as it could have been. So, so when we put this all together, we've got a big monthly job, government jobs number tomorrow. How are you thinking about the macro landscape here, Dave? Yeah, no, I, uh, you you said it really well. It's a, it's a really interesting picture here because if you were to look just at some of the economic data, some you, you'd paint a really bearish picture, uh, and I, and I think that's one where many people heading into this year were generally bearish, uh, yeah. particularly on equities. Because looking into the future, whether it's the earnings recession that actually we're in, and we can talk about that shortly, uh, particularly with earnings season coming up uh, in short order, and then certain data. But look, the jobs market is just so dang resilient. The ADP number, another blowout number, and of course, the bond market reacts accordingly. But what's interesting here is it makes you think back to the FOMC meeting 
what, what was this sort of hawkish pause or skip? Uh, especially now, it seems pretty clear we're going to need to get some action in July, uh, if not more. They've come out basically, everyone to your point, uh, any governor that gets a chance to talk these days is, is alluding to that uh, or basically saying it. Uh, and I think that's something that markets are now repricing. On the equity side today, again, th there is a bit of a bid here, which when I think about what's going on with market sentiment, uh, it makes me uh, maybe be less bearish than I want to feel because the data is actually sort of telling me, hey, there, there might be something here. So really, the picture actually remains a bit challenging to sort of come out and just say, I want to be uber bearish or uber bullish. Yeah. So ADP is notoriously a little noisy, right? And a lot of people talking about, you know, are there like the seasonalities off here? A lot of it was in leisure and hospitality. It, it, is any of the data working because we had all of these sort of extraordinary events with all the stimulus of so the year on years are hard? Like people are a little bit confused. Do you think that we don't just have we don't have a clear picture or does it seem like the U.S. economy is actually reaccelerating? We know manufacturing is weak. We know that. But but is the rest of the economy just stronger and more resilient than we thought? Or do you think maybe there's some noise here in, in the reports that we're seeing? Well, uh, at least from my perspective, I think there's truth to, to both of that. We still have this overhang of the COVID times where rate of change numbers and year over year numbers, um, there's, it's still relevant, but you just can't maybe discern as much from some signals that you could have uh, previously. So, so I will acknowledge we're still seeing some of that. In particular, with this, with this ADP report, yes, always noisy. There's this massive catch-up on leisure and hospitality. Some would say that's actually lower quality jobs, you know, without getting into a massive discussion about what's a good job or a, ma a bad job. To me, they're, they're on the payroll. It's a positive on one hand. Uh, on the other hand, this jobs number... Uh, coming out tomorrow, I think is, you know, every jobs number is important. It's probably one of the most overused terms on Wall Street. But the, what, 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 what we may end up getting is another beat. And then the market's going to say, hey, we have to reprice further hikes uh, and higher for longer. That's mm -hmm. something that I think the, even the even equity market bulls weren't, weren't sort of, I think, realizing that, that I, I don't think the Fed is going to be in a position anytime soon to be pivoting and cutting. To me, the pivot had been to higher rates and higher for longer. So while there's noise in the data, we do have to discern something. And, and there is some interesting things that came out today. Services, which were starting to look pretty weak on a deceleration basis, did okay. Um, and so that, I think, tells me that, yeah, the, the, it's not a cut and dry picture where manufacturing, China, a lot of question marks of what's happening there. But the, the services side of the U.S. economy uh, is showing um, some strong results. At some point, the piper needs to be paid, right? Yeah. Rates are extremely high. You know, look at the prime rate, 8.25%. We cannot ignore that. But if the jobs are still there, you can kind of kick that can out um, for, for some time. Now, just like there was that debt maturity wall people were talking about in corporations a few years ago that got pushed out, I actually think the same thing is going to happen with the consumer. So while many people were saying, hey, this is going to have to happen in 2023, maybe even early 2024. I think, again, we see this moving further out as part of this, this idea of a rolling recession. Yeah. And, um, and I think that for 
about three days last week or something, everybody thought like, oh, maybe this is, you kind of felt that soft landing sneaking back into the conversation. And uh, Julian Brigden, who was on yesterday, was joking about the immaculate rece recession. You know, that's like somehow this happens, but it all moves so slowly that policymakers can wrap their head around it. But um, Julian, who's co-founder of MI2 Partners, um, in, our, in the extended part of our conversation yesterday, kind of made the argument that if it actually runs hot or re-accelerates, that could be a problem and that maybe both stocks and bonds are underestimating the Fed. Let's have a listen to that clip and we'll talk on the other side. Bonds, bonds are actually acting quite logically, right? So as I said, the curve is inverted, that bit is very logical. We're just sticking with this very hawkish Fed perception, right? So two-year yields are basically a function of what the Fed tells you they're going to do. Now, there is actually where I will say the bond market could be wrong, and this actually would be bad news for the real economy. It may not be, it'd be bad news for certain companies within the equity market, is if this equity market doesn't back off and we keep getting strong data, um, then these rate cuts, remember we're pricing in humongous rate cuts, right? We're pricing in basically they pushed it out though, right? Five seventy-five, Maggie, right? Is the top ish, five fifty, five seventy-five. And then December of twenty twenty-four, we're gonna be so eighteen months from now, we're gonna be at four. How do you get that without a swinging recession and a equity market meltdown? Yeah. So right here, right now, if you want to trade you probably want to be short bonds and short stocks because one of those has to give. Just a quick moment to remind you, today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Crane Shares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN. Now back to today's analysis. An extended version of that conversation, and which includes Julian's thoughts, by the way, on the dollar, China, we covered a lot, um, is on our platform, as are those macro insiders um, with RAL. If you're not an, already a member, scan the QR code and you can join our community. By the way, I should have said this yesterday, Julian's mic is so trash. We know that. Everybody knows that. He was traveling, for those of you who are paying attention. So he didn't have the one we already sent him, but we clearly have to send him another one to use when he's on the road. Although my secret theory is that he does it just to torture Raul. I don't know, I could be wrong, but anyway, we know. We feel your pain, people who complained about it. Um, Dave, so what do you, you know, what do you make of that? I mean, do you see the risk of a stock meltdown? I'll put it in the words of, um, of actually George on the chat, who's just mentioning this. Okay, two rate hikes, then the breakdown in September, in my honest opinion. You know, the fear that maybe like the Fed's just going to now have to go back to being so aggressive, they break something. Okay, so I would actually argue uh, the Fed has already broke certain things. Uh, every, every interest rate hiking cycle, the Fed breaks something. Uh, we could point to the UK pension plans. If that, that's a distant memory. We can point to Silicon Valley Bank and the others. That seemingly is a distant memory. You know, we had some of the largest banking failures ever. In, in the history of mankind, and equity markets are up. Uh, obviously, a little bit of concentration happening there with, with uh, uh, big cap tech really driving markets higher there. But still, the sentiment 
that, uh, and we could argue, is that going to get ahead of itself from a FOMO standpoint? I actually think we could end up getting there, but I don't really view that we're going to have this massive at some point meltdown. What I would actually expect to see happen is these uh, these hikes come into place. Uh, at some point, investors realize, have I now started to pay up too much for weaker, for lower and lower earnings? But what's going to be fascinating is uh, look at NVIDIA. NVIDIA was arguably, you know, uh, trading at extremely rich multiples. Then they say that they have absolutely blowout revenue. Like real, real numbers. That's not a forecast. It actually occurred. Uh, and so that to me shows that for the time being, the bulls are back in charge here. Now, I, uh, I believe that we're going to see a bit of a kind of a summer swoon uh, as we're, we're starting to see. Like this is, I, I think some of these, the equity market days that we've seen recently are, are likely going to play out. But part of me says, uh, and, and if we look at just the, the amount of money that's floating the money market funds, people when they come back from the beach or come back from vacations actually might melt the market up higher before we get something inevitable um from why is from, that well i think I, I think look we have uh, for for the first time cash is an asset class for you know most of my investment career and most of many people it has not been um we you know i remember when i when i first started uh you know in the early, early 2000s Cash was an asset class, learned about capital asset pricing model and all that, all that stuff. That was ignored post the global financial crisis. Um, you, 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 it, it was a waste of time because you weren't going to earn anything uh, and you were forced to go buy bonds. If you were a bond investor, you had to go buy credit. Credit investor had to go buy equities. Equities had to go buy alts. And we, we, know, we know what happened there. In 2022, um, that's when we had the repricing, right? Markets are moving at a faster and faster pace than they ever have today. And I think what happened for stocks is investors bid up or sorry, bid down the fact that we're going to have all these rate hikes. This year, it's been a bit of a recalibration saying, hey, maybe the economy is not so bad. But I think what's going to happen is people are going to move out of cash and perhaps bid up stocks pretty aggressively uh, because they have this fear of missing out. Uh, and after that, when the reality sets in that, hey, multiples have already risen significantly. We're not there yet, in my opinion. Multiples have risen. Earnings don't look incredibly hot. The Fed's not uh, uh, cutting. They may actually be forced to be on pause for a long time. That's when I think we get a reassessment. But to me, that's, that's kind of six months from now. Uh, now, of course, anything can happen. There could be an exogenous event. But I'm not quite in the September. I actually think September could see a bit up. And then... Uh, Coming, come the winter is when a realization happens. Huh? What's actually happening with the economy? Yeah. Uh, and to your other point, then you can no longer make these examples about year over year COVID excuses. Mm -hmm. It's that's in the rearview mirror. Yeah. So maybe a cleaner read. That would that would be interesting because it would be kind of the counter that seasonals people. You you know people expect horrible Octobers and they expect a rally at the year end as everybody tries to get out get their winners on their books. So when you when you or if uh, the way you just described it, um, I'm interested in that FOMO because uh, you definitely people who are who are not in Nvidia are definitely pissed they're in Nvidia, and even some people who are in it and sold too early are mad <laughs> that they sold too early. So, do you feel like the FOMO is just around some of these really high momentum tech stocks, or is it just that people have been in cash 
And if you see a pullback, they'll see that as, as an opportunity to put money to work. That it, it, to me, it's more that broader point that yeah. I, I don't. The, the I think there's a realization, right? The beauty of of today's world is that one conversations like this can happen more frequently. We're not reliant. You know, we take it for granted that all significant amount of financial data is at our fingertips all the time. And that's why one of the reasons why I think market cycles have been compressed, they're shorter, they hit harder, and then people move on because our attention spans are, are shorter than a goldfish, especially even when it comes to, to our financial assets. And um, what, what, to me, what to me that means is that people are going to say, hey, I did pretty well in cash. I have a better feel of where inflation is. And even though cash may start out yielding inflation on a real basis, they're going to say, you know what? I don't want that 1% real return. I want that. I want to get the 10%. I want to get the 15%. Yeah. Uh, so basically, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of bias towards stocks. Yeah. I, I, and I still think we're there, right? I don't, I, I think we're, we're not, this year in, in particular has had me sort of recalibrate my expectations of people react to data, right? The data is, again, in some cases, jobs aside, maybe services aside, if you look at manufacturing new orders in the U.S. globally, uh, if you look at other sort of leading indicators, the bond market itself, it's not so, the yield curve, right? It, it's, it, it's, it's telling us we should be bearish. But the, the sort of sentiment that still exists, maybe the cult of equities that happened when retail traders came back into the market during COVID is, is not gone. Um, it's just sort of maybe morphed into different areas, right? So no longer meme stocks per se, but it's give me, you know, uh, give me a basket of securities that, that have that kind of quality bias, that, that ability to potentially outperform in a variety of different market environments that they plowed into this year. But I do think that can broaden out um, uh, over the coming months as people, as that FOMO perhaps takes over. Yeah, so interesting. So many... Many of your, I want to talk a little bit about sectors. So many of your ETFs, Round Hills ETFs, are in the tech space, including uh, generative AI uh, and technology ETF ticker Chat C H A T. Huge amount of momentum here. I mean, ridiculous. But also concerns about valuations, right? We saw Nvidia up just as some of the top holdings within this because it, it just launched so it doesn't match up year to on, on um you know i think right i don't even think it's yeah it's trading year to date yeah so but nvidia up 193 percent. i mean that's just ridiculous you know this is where all of the momentum has been how are you feeling about this sector you mentioned the fact that nvidia had those earnings do you feel like there is real capex being spent here and real you know, money that's going to translate into earnings beats, or is there concern that not everybody's going to be a winner and there's some noise? How are you guys looking at this? So I'll start with that, the second kind of part of your question first. So one of our main theses, or my, my main thesis is heading into this year, was that we are in a have and have nots economy. We, we see that play out, un, un, unfortunately, sort of with the world itself, with sort of the wealthier getting wealthier and, and in fact, the poor getting poorer. Same thing's happening with corporations. This year, the haves have been mega cap tech who have earnings, who have firepower, who have strong balance sheets, cash on hand. The have nots have been your non-profitable tech where all the interest was before. Uh, the same thing I think is sort of happening with generative AI. 
We are in a world where there are companies that are the haves. In, in the semi space, it's NVIDIA with a huge moat around their, their uh, GPUs. To some extent, AMD is, uh, is participating and a handful of others. And so, yeah, while the valuations in NVIDIA are, are by no means, I think, cheap, they have much better fundamentals than a Cisco did in the late 1990s. So to me, I think it's premature to be making a comparison of AI stocks being in a bubble. Yeah, the performance is wild for stocks like Meta, NVIDIA, others. But their valuations are not at extremes yet. That obviously can change. And perhaps if we see another run-up uh, after this earnings season, you know, uh, the, the data will change. But for the time being, on a comparison basis, uh, whether we look at one-year returns, three-year, five-year, or particularly the valuation multiples, we're, we're, not, we're not there yet, even though it kind of feels like we should be. So to me, I think it's easy to point the finger at stocks that are up so high, but AI isn't just about NVIDIA. I think they're the poster, you know, the, the, uh, the place first that mo most people are looking, but our portfolio in particular is actively managed for a reason because we want to be able to peel back that onion. We're going to have exposure to companies that are benefiting from that, like your NVIDIA's and Alphabet uh, and others, but also smaller names that people may not be as familiar with, SenseTime, iFlyTech. These are companies based in China that are actually building the large language models that are, that are needed uh, in chatbots and the like. And so to, to us is, as people begin to actually do some research, the, the, the potential for AI broadens out and people are gonna say, it, and say, hey, it's not just only in a video story. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And so um, my, my, as you were saying that, I was thinking about the, the narrative was that a higher interest rate environment is bad for tech, but you're sort of making the, the distinction that these mega cap tech names are not future profit names. They are they are delivering on earnings and maybe less vulnerable to that environment. Then add the global component in, and even more so. Is that how you see it? Yeah, hundred percent. I so I actually am uh, like I've become more bearish on non profitable tech on companies without profits, right? Uh -huh. Where all of their focus is on the future, right? All of our earn it. You have to believe that you're, and you're gonna hold your nose and buy at whatever multiple they're trading at because they're gonna change the world. Um, we know VC has pulled back from that, public equities have pulled back from that, but that means that the money that wants to get put, put to work has moved into things that are more sure uh, from, from a revenue standpoint. Historically, a lot of people, at least how I was trained, that would tell you to go to cyclicals, go to companies like utilities, right. go to industrials that have these kind of more consistent revenue streams. But what's become fascinating is in the 21st century, those industrials are Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Alphabet, maybe can't with a handful of, of, of others, and maybe even some semiconductor names because they're se semi you can't exist in this world without semiconductors. So to me, I think the kind of classic idea of what is a a pro-cyclical company maybe has changed. And to me, it's almost more about who can deliver profits and who like, like, with greater certainty versus who may not be able to do so. That sounds like that naturally is going to push you up the food chain in terms of market cap, no? Big time. Um, so that to me is an area where uh, I have wanted to maybe personally dabble in small caps or be, be from a firm perspective, be, be more bullish there. But it, it's been hard to do that because I think until until 
we see a sea change from from the Fed, which I don't see happening, um, other than maybe some episodic returns to, to small caps or even mid caps. Uh, I think I think it's it's going to be a winner take all world uh, in, in where where we are from uh, from a market standpoint. So Paul, Paul uh, in our chat is very fixated on this question because he asked it before, but he wants to keep asking it. Um, the heavy concentration into a limited number of high-flying, high-multiple stocks now looks very similar to the Nifty 50 era, where returns were negative the following decade. Do you worry that could repeat? It sounds like you don't. I think the, different, the difference for me is on the fundamentals, that these companies are generating real earnings. They have revenue. They have most. But weren't they also in the Nifty 50? To, 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 to some extent. I... From a bigger picture standpoint, I I do I do believe that we could be in for um, uh, a, a period of significantly lower returns out of risky assets. But I I also think for the time being, because of where investor sentiment and psyche is, it's kind of premature to totally hunker down. Uh, and what what I actually uh, my thesis <laughs> is that we'll see this run up. And, and just and many people said, well, this, 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 is, this happened before with unprofitable tech. We might see the real, like something we're not prepared for, an actual real melt up. And then something crazy happens, an exogenous event, or the Fed needs to kind of change their tune, not bail us out. So we are so accustomed to being bailed out by- Oh yeah. They right? made it pretty clear they want to break that psychology. And what's going to happen is, you know, again, there's no ability to kind of put in, I mean, maybe someone who has a better models than I have to put a duration around that. Like, again, a lot of this is timing, mm -hmm. right? So to me, like short, very short term, I am bearish, bearish to neutral over the summer on equities in general. As I noted, sort of in the kind of intermediate term, I'm more bullish but to me, that's going to make me as that if the, if that comes true and that real run up happens, that's going to make me more more bearish, excuse me, over the longer term. So Paul, Paul Paul's thesis may actually be right. Yeah. Um, but that's a decade trade, right? That's not, uh, and even in a decade, you can see a lot of variability. And I think you just said before, and this has come up a lot too. And Paul, this is something to consider: is that if if you know, we didn't have the access to information. We didn't have the participation. You didn't have things like Real Vision when the Nifty 50 happened. So those negative returns for a decade, if everything's yes. compressed, one wonders if it would really last a decade. You know, we saw it happen with Silicon Valley Bank. You can have a bank run in five minutes. So, you know, it's it's that sort of an interesting thing about investor psychology right now that we, we also don't really understand. You didn't have people with so many people in their 401s as well, which is you know, stock participation in a certain way is wider. So those are those are variables that are different and probably worth thinking about. So want to ask you about, uh, so you, you also have an ETF about the metaverse, uh, EMTV, which, you know, a, a, a little while ago, everyone thought you were insane talking about the metaverse, right? It kind of was a clunker. Nobody was doing it or interested. There was a lot of negativity around Facebook, Meta, <laughs> which changed his name. It was a poster child for the metaverse. And then lo and behold, Facebook's been on fire. They just dropped Thread, competitor to Twitter. Mark Zuckerberg tweeted for the first time in 11 years, apparently continuing his sparring although virtual here, with Elon Musk sort of taunting him. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's like of a Spider-Man looking at a Spider-Man. 
what, what, what do you make of all this? What do you, th how are you thinking about this Threads initiative? Well, I think, so it's interesting. So you're, you're absolutely right. So the metaverse was probably one of the most challenging areas to be in, companies exposed to it, meta in particular, uh, probably they're, they're changing their name, sort of maybe peaked the, uh, the focus on, on metaverse itself. Uh, and, be, and some of this is related to the fact that this is, has some real world applications today in gaming. I think there is maybe more appreciation for that kind of smaller market that is being adopted. But the idea that we're living in a virtual world and combining mixed and virtual reality probably has gotten pushed out. Uh, we know the uh, Oculus and headsets are, to your, use your term, clunky, right? It's not, it's not like ChatGPT and AI where I can just sign up if I have a phone or a computer uh, or even threats. So um, that thesis is still very relevant, but it is a longer term trade. What, what Mark Zuckerberg and the metaverse ma management team have found though is saying, hey, they said this was the year of efficiency. They've had a significant amount of cut. They're still spending from an R&D perspective, but they've cut fat in certain areas and they've redeployed. And what we know is this, this Threads initiative is seemingly very credible, right? So I think it was 5 million people in the first hour, 30 million people in the uh, you know, less than the first day. People are going to experiment with it. Um, part of this is, I think, an opening of what's going on with Twitter, right? Yeah. Um, there's no, uh, I think it's not controversial to say that the user experience is different, whether you're verified or unverified advertisers and everything. And um, they have their work cut out for them here. So I think we know that um, Zuckerberg in particular and Meta as a company now is pretty good at sort of being number two uh, and then taking that number two spot to being number one. So uh, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, count them out, but it, it's, you know, 30 million is not 300 million users, right? So they got a ways to go. But if you can show the ability to learn, they did a nice job getting celebrities and influencers on it already. And then over time, I think they'll learn to change the feed. So uh, just like we saw with, with Instagram and the growth of that, I, I think there's something real here uh, on, on the threads. We as a company, you know, we have a big focus on social media and things of that nature. We're going to be experimenting there um, probably with others. Now, that may ultimately not be the right place for our finance conversations, but we know Twitter has been, right? It's a great fin twit, whatever you want mm -hmm. to call it, is, is, I think, a credible source for investment debates. Yeah. Obviously, you got some crazies out there like anywhere because it's a public square, but um, I think it's a reasonable source for dialogue. And if, if they can replicate that for threads, I think you're going to draw a lot of people who were, who were used to that conversation and do so in maybe a safer, sp safer space for them. Yeah. A lot of distrust of Facebook, but a lot of people interested in being able to bring their followers that they already have over from Instagram. So this is where, you know, owning all those platforms early may help. I want to squeeze in this quick question from Colin because I think it's really important. Do you worry about liquidity in specialized ETFs if the market turns? Great question, so the, the, Yeah, it's a good, that's a really good question. The, one of the beauties of ETFs is that their liquidity is less dependent upon what's called on screen. So that's, you know, if it's trading 100 shares or 100 million shares. It's more dependent upon what's happening in the underlying underlying assets. So an equity ETF, for example, a U.S. equity would have more liquidity than an emerging markets ETF. An emerging markets ETF may have more liquidity than a high yield muni bond ETF, where the underlying bonds in that portfolio actually don't turn over very frequently. So in the event of a liquidity crisis, I actually think, and we've seen this over time, ETFs become a source of liquidity in the market. 
Mm. All, the biggest growth areas for ETFs, if I look over the 30-year history, have been periods of market stress where investors gravitate toward them. One of the big ones happened actually around, uh, unfortunately, around 9-11, where um, it was concerned about being able to price underlying securities. We saw SPY trade really well, and then more folks gravitated toward it. Same thing happened in the global financial crisis. Then people gravitated toward fixed income ETFs. Many people thought there were going to be a, 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 an area of lack of liquidity. Turned out they added liquidity because they traded on an exchange. So you may not love the, the bid-ask spread that you're seeing, but if you want to transact, I actually think an ETF might be that source of liquidity for you more than you realize. And you know, shoot us a note at, you know, at, uh, uh, at the contact us page at Roundhill Investments if you want to talk more about ETF liquidity. I could... That could be a whole other show. Um, so <laughs> I could, yeah, you could get the data dump, right? Exactly. <laughs> awesome, great stuff. Um, well, I love it. We don't talk, uh, you know, more specifically about ETFs enough, I think, and that's the vehicle a lot of people use to invest. So fantastic conversation. Can't wait for tomorrow. That big jobs number. Uh, we will be back. Reminder to everybody at uh, one p.m. ET tomorrow. Remember, it's Summer Friday Daily Briefing, and Ash is going to be here with Peter Bookfar breaking down everything in the jobs number and what it means for both bonds and stocks. So be sure to join us then. Dave, thanks so much. Hope you'll come back again. Great having you on. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. And have a good night, everybody. Take care and good luck out there. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Crane Shares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN.